What a great way to wake up. With a cup of logic, reason, and common sense. Welcome to the Independence Morning View. Let's get to it. Good morning to you wherever you are in the world. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined this morning by Bruce Adams. Good morning, Bruce. How are you? Good morning. Uh, Doing well. How about yourself? I can't complain. I got my coffee here and I'm ready to go. So let's start with Mexico. They had an earthquake down there and they're now warning of a tsunami. They did, yeah. It was a uh, a Mm 7.4 earthquake in southern Mexico. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure the tsunami, if we had any more reports of... Uh, so the hazardous wave. Okay, so they're saying the waves could reach three meters, and they're saying it could strike anywhere within uh, one thousand kilo- uh, kilometers of the quake's epicenter. That's the farthest north that we've seen activity on the Ring of Fire on the western part of the North American plate in the last two years. So that's a big deal for that to happen down there. I think that yeah, that that is it. Yeah, uh, especially with. As, as the media would like to note, uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, that makes things even more interesting. Yeah. So, well, I feel sorry for those people down there because, I mean, they're dealing with enough as it is. So, yeah, God only knows uh, with all that. That's just got to be uh, that's got to be bad. So is there any actual. So it says that they don't even have any reports of damage. Several institutions are continuing to evaluate their priority infrastructure, said the National Coordinator uh, Coordinator of Mexico's Civil Protection Force. So I guess they don't even have any damage. Uh, it was hit. Let me see, it was you- felt in several. I don't know. That's that's great. Well, it did happen. Okay, where I'm looking at it, it says that it was magnitude 7.4 and it was at a depth of 23 kilometers. So it was it was like 15 miles down. So, yeah, uh, it's uh, like that's going to be kind of like what they had in India Uh, a couple of years ago. They had one that was just off the coast, but it was it was down underwater. But then, of course, there was the one in the Philippines that triggered the uh, the big old tsunami. You remember that? Mm -hmm. I do. And then, of course, Japan, who can forget that? But I think the one in Japan, though, that was much bigger. And that was I believe it was eight miles down. I think I think they're saying it could strike anywhere within a thousand kilometers of the epicenter. So thousand kilometers in any direction. So, yeah, they had uh, looks like they had a um, epicenter was uh, looks like it's Kershida. But the shockwave was felt as far away as Mexico City, some 700 kilometers, 430 miles distant, where it sent frightened residents rushing into the streets. But uh, I mean, if it was if it was really that bad then I'm sure we'd see stuff all over. But we're not seeing that much other than that. Just to give it a little bit of, of comparison here, the one that was, happened in Japan, uh, that was at 29 kilometers down. So it can still, even even at that depth, it can still do quite a bit of damage. Oh, yes, I'm sure it can. But in this case, it kind of hasn't. So it's it's kind of, it's odd. I mean, I would have expected at least some type of uh, infrastructure damage, right? I mean, I haven't seen any. And they're saying that they're, they don't have any reports of it. Yeah, that's what... Is kind of confusing on this one. Yeah, there were no fallen buildings and no no issues. So I don't know. Uh, it was Some very the- shallow, sixteen miles down. Yeah, below the earth's surface, which is which kind of amplified it a little bit. But other than that, I uh, I don't see anything major there. So uh, we go from earthquakes to dust clouds, right? Yeah. 
big dust cloud. We, we, I mean, we've kind of talked about it a little bit before, but the dust cloud coming from the Sahara. But uh, yeah. A Godzilla dust cloud from the Sahara heads to the U.S., bringing the worst air pollution in 50 years after it hit the Caribbean. Is this man-made climate change? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Essentially what this is is... I mean, they're going to they're going to try to brand it that way because obviously um, because of man-made climate change, we've changed the currents of the ocean because of temperature rising or whatever, you know, the change. They're going to they're going to fabricate this whole thing. But really what it is, is winds blow dust. Dust gets caught by stronger winds called the jet stream and get carried across to the United States uh, and Mexico. I mean, it's pretty straightforward and basic. They just happen to have. The right windage to have this happen is this from man-made climate change nah this is nothing uncommon although we don't see it on a regular basis but i've read research going back tens of thousands of years i mean if you go back to the times of like the aztecs if you go back to then if uh, I, I saw some, i was watching something on some um, some geologists that were doing some surveys at one point in time in central and south america and they were taking soil samples and they were actually showing, I mean, they had like part of the, like the hillside cut away. So they were able to just go back and they were, they were talking about each layer in the, in the soil. And as they were going down through, they were talking about a particular layer of red sand. And they say this particular sand right here, this is not native to any part of Central or South America. Where did this come from? And they found out that it was from thousands and thousands of years ago from the Sahara Desert. And it blew across using the the mediums that you just described. So this is not uncommon. This ha- this happens, right? It's just we don't see yeah. it that often, but it does happen. I mean, you go back, right. you know, tens of thousands of years ago, was that man-made climate change? I don't think so. I don't think so. What makes this one so interesting, though, is we have satellites in place that are actually able to to witness this and, and take record of it. So, I mean, there, there's some interesting uh, video and um, photographic evidence of this you know it, it, it's pretty it's pretty interesting but I, I i imagine this is probably the first time to this scale that humans have recorded it uh using using our, our various technologies so how bad is it actually going to get is it going to like sandblast windows and all that stuff is that what we're going to see well i don't know i mean really it's just more of a nuisance than anything some of the pictures I'm seeing of of before and after, it's quite the haze. I mean, it, it severely reduces your uh, view distance. There is an upside to this. The upside is it stopped the hurricane activity. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just, you know, more or less just hinders your view. Uh, that's about it. And you'll see an awesome sunset, apparently, in the middle of a dust storm. <laughs> yeah. There. Uh, some, some of the pictures are, are quite beautiful uh, that I've seen. Nice orange and red colors, yeah. Okay, speaking of dust storms and barren wastelands, let's talk Mars, right? We like to talk about space here on the morning show, so let's talk Mars. They're Mm. talking about putting a Mars helicopter, uh, and they're talking about how it'll be the Red Planet's Wright Brothers moment. So what are they going to do here? Is this going to be Musk and and his guys, or is this going to be, or is it going to be a combination of him, uh, SpaceX, and NASA, or is it just NASA? So... It's probably a combination of the two. This is, I think, going to be a NASA design, but it's probably going to be one of the, um, uh, you know, corporations that that have, you know, spacefaring corporations that will that will propel it there. But uh, yeah, yeah, it looks it, it it's an interesting idea. I mean, you know, the atmosphere there is a lot less dense than what Earth is. 
And conversely, the, the gravitational pull is also lower as well. So, you know, theoretically, uh, this this could be a thing, you know, and, and may actually give us some interesting um, um, observations on Mars. You know, one thing I'm curious about about Mars, I, I wish that NASA would put an end to all this conspiracy theory nonsense. What's up with that face that's up there? You, you know what I'm talking about? That that face yeah. like pyramid kind of thing. Why won't they just send something over and put that thing to bed? Uh, well, because, you know, obviously the lizard people won't allow us to do that. So right. they don't right. they don't want to show their civilization. You know, that's one right. of the entrances to their. So, yeah. Yeah. Same. OK. All right. You solved that problem. So I guess we don't have to worry about that anymore, do we? Yeah. This the mission uh, to Mars launching this helicopter will be on July 20th. That's the current schedule for the launch. Looks like it's with Preservance is the mission so, name. Preservance. Yeah. Okay. All right. So they're going to send a small helicopter named Ingenuity, and it'll open up a way for new futuristic robotic explorers to get a bird's eye view of Mars. In other words, or excuse me, and other worlds in the solar system. This is very analogous to the Wright brothers moment, but on another planet. Flying on Mars is not a trivial endeavor. There is not much air there to push against uh, to generate liftoff. Is the air, what, what's the thickness of the air? Is, did you say it was thinner than, than ours? It'd have to be, right? Yes. With all this? Yeah, it's one, it's one one hundredth, the density of Earth. Oh, wow. Okay. So that, all right. Uh, and a third less gravity, it looks like. So yes. that'll help, but that's going to be a little bit more difficult because you're looking at one one hundredth, the density of the atmosphere. So... It says taking off from the surface of Mars is equivalent to flying at an altitude of 100,000 feet. No terrestrial helicopter has ever flown that high. That's true. Uh, it's I don't even what's the a helicopter can't even fly to the top of Everest. And that's 30,000. Yeah, and that's twi- more than twice the altitude the jetliner typically fly at. Yeah, they usually fly it. I've been up to 30,000. You know, 30, yeah. I think it was like 36,000 is where, I, like, that's the highest I've ever been in an airliner. The Concorde, when it was in service, that was 70,000, I believe. 70,000 was the uh, the limit for that. So, so this, yeah, that's this helicopter, though, basically what they're going to have to do with this is have the rotary blades are going to have to be larger and they're going to have to be probably more of them. Uh, so, I mean, the picture that we've seen, the the um, render of it is a four bladed and it looks like it's going to be, you know, counter rotating. So one will rotate clockwise. The other one will ro- rotate counterclockwise um, that may I don't I don't know what the size of it is. But I'm I'm betting it, it's going to have to be really big as far as the rotaries are concerned. OK, so we were talking about the Mars rover one day and you were telling me that the latency in, in communication with it to send it orders is of what did you say, about 20 minutes to, to send something yep. and have it do that? OK, that is, so if that's if that is 20 minutes, if there's a delay of 20 minutes and that's in a vehicle that is ground based and has obviously wheels and, and things like that. How's it going to be flying one of these? Like if you're talking about airborne, I mean, a 20 minute lag time. I mean, that's that's pretty significant, especially if you're airborne. If you're on the ground, you have time to make adjustments. But if you're in the air, you kind of have to react uh, a split, uh, you know, on a split second sometimes. And with a 20 minute latency, you're not going to be able to do that. This is it's going to be autonomous, just like the rovers. So you can uh, pre-plan a destination or, or a pattern for it to fly. And similar to the rovers, there was a pre-planned path that it would follow and it'll it'll fly the path and land, I guess. I, I, I don't know, you know, how they're powering it for this. So just based on the render, it looks like it's a pretty good sized drone. Uh, there's a like 
the picture we have is uh, there's a rover in the background and those rovers are about the size of a minivan so um that rover is probably the the drone is probably pretty large and i'm assuming this is going to be charged the same way using solar panels and, and all that stuff and then of course uh, the unit that sits underneath of it that's going to house the um i guess the engine in this case and it's going to uh hold all of the battery packs and everything is that is that how this is going to work battery packs cameras any kind of sensing you know sensors any of those kind of things they'll all be contained in that box probably yes this is by the way going to be launched on an atlas 5 so this is going to be solely nasa doing this um, though okay, technically so, the Atlas V was Lockheed Martin, I believe. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So wh- when are they planning to do this? I think it's July 20th is the launch date. Okay. And it'll take how long to get there? Probably, I think it's about three to six months. Three to six uh, months. I'm not seeing okay. it. Let's see. Let's see if they actually tell. It'll so land on is, Mars in February of next year. In February. Okay. Of next year. So what you're saying is I was going to call June or January, but... Uh, yeah. Okay. So February is their target date for landing. And this is, this will be the rovers actually touching down. This is, this one specifically is going to be both a rover, you know, typical rover we've seen and also this helicopter, both. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds interesting. I'm looking forward to that. Okay. So keeping with space, a mysterious space signal. We talked about one of these a couple of weeks ago. Is this the same one? A mysterious space signal has been going for over 500 days and no one knows why. A source of repeating audio waves seen from one point in the sky presents astronomers with numerous mysteries. The source of this signal, where radiation builds and ebbs over a period of 16 days, remains a question. The longevity of these cycles is now seen for con- continuing for over 500 days. They're talking about these FRBs again, these fast radio bursts. Is this the same place that this is emanating from as the last one? No, it's not. Okay, so I'm not even going to begin to list off this classification of this thing. I, I'm oh, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's like 16 characters long. Uh, it's been repeating for 500 days. The apparent source for this display is a region of active star formation just outside of a massive spiral galaxy, 500 million light years from Earth. Well outside of our Milky Way galaxy, yeah, you think? Bruce, to put it into perspective, if we were to travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, if we were to travel at the speed of light, that would take us 500 million years just to get there, correct? Yes, that, that is okay. correct. It is the most active FRB yet detected and the one nearest to Earth. See, the last one was, what was it, 3 billion light years from Earth? Yeah, it was, it was quite a ways off, yeah. A new study examining this signal found it is likely either a periodic event, such as a rotating object, or the radio waves may be amplified on a regular repeating pattern. Chances that the repeating pattern signal is random now seem slim. In 38 bursts recorded from September 16th of 2018 to 4th of February of 2020, we find that all bursts arrive in a five-day phase window, and 50% of the bursts arrive in a 0.6-day, which is about 14 hours and 24 minutes phase window. The cycle repeats once every 16 days, including four noisy days, followed by 12 days of silence. It is the most definitive pattern we've seen from one of these sources, and it's a big clue that we can use to start hunting down the physics of what's causing these bright flashes, which nobody really understands. What is this anyway? It's okay. One possibility is that this event could be caused by a single dense object like a neutron star, which there's not a neutron star there, right? There's not one there. Um, there could, so it could be the process of one forming. It uh-huh. could be for energy to travel that great of a distance and us to be able to detect it, it would have to be something large like a, a neutron star or a black hole. It would it has to be something really massive like that. 
uh, or or possessing a ton of energy. And okay. those are the the two main uh, suspects. Uh, could it also? Well, okay, but see, this wouldn't happen then, or or would it? Maybe I'm maybe I'm misunderstanding here. But let's say that it's it's something that happened a long time ago. 500 million years ago, let's say, uh, example, you know, star went Nova or, or supernova or something like that. And we're just now catching that. But then that wouldn't repeat. It would just be one burst, right? Yeah. Supernova would be just that's once one and done. They're, they're also speculating this is like a, a neutron star orbiting a black hole, which if that's the case, uh, the neutron star would be moving very rapidly around the black hole for it to be stuck in the gravity. It, it's moving very quickly. So it's possible that it's doing an orbit every 16 days and we're able to see the energy you know, for four of those days. That's possible. The thing about it is with that distance, we can't really necessarily identify it, I don't think. And to your point about it being you know, really far away, like a supernova or something, technically what we're seeing right now is an echo. This is an echo from 500 million years ago. So whatever's causing this could long, it could have, it could be long dead right now. That's kind of, it's, it's fascinating, but at the same time, it's kind of creepy, isn't it? It, it, yeah, in a sense it is. If it is indeed a neutron star orbiting a black hole, then more than likely it's still probably there. It could be the, it could be, uh, the, the last phase of the neutron star, like as it's being sucked into the black hole, you know, it could be something like that. But see, black holes, Though they light can't escape a black hole, there's still a lot of energy that is emitted from its poles that escapes, and it could easily be the black hole. Those poles could be pointing at us, basically, one of the poles. And the energy from the neutron star as it's being consumed could be causing pulses from that. I mean, that's that's a theory. I don't know what waves these are. Is it just radio waves that they're picking up? That's what it looks like. It's called these uh, fast radio bursts, FRBs or whatever they're called. Okay, that, that's what so it is. it's radio waves. Okay, so but the thing is, is it's repeating. It's repeating right. in the same pattern. Right, which would suggest either an orbit, you know, something orbiting, uh, like a neutron star. It could be orbiting another star, or as as they were saying, a black hole, which is why we don't see the energy for a time and then see it. There's a lot of things that we really don't know about space, so it could be a phenomenon that we have not seen yet. That That's also possible. And a very, well, let's say, out there theory is it could be some kind of alien race, right? That's a plausibility, but you're talking for them to be so advanced that they can uh, emit a pulse that strong 500 million years ago. If they are still around, they're going to be... Well, 500 million years at least ahead of us, technologically speaking. So theoretically, they could already be visiting us if they're, you know, <laughs> if that is so, indeed the case. Basically, what you're saying is, is if if it's actually a signal from 500 million years ago and we're just now receiving it, what you're saying is, is it could possibly be too late for us to send a response back. Is that, is that basically what you're saying? Basically, yeah. But even if we were to send a response, it would not make it. It would dissipate before it, it made it that far. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have that kind of uh, emission technology. I'm seeing as well, they're talking about these neutron stars. It could be two neutron stars orbiting each other and they'd be uh, uh, magnetars, which are really powerful magnetic fields associated with these. And something about the orbit could be causing a radio wave emissions. Um, a lot of speculations on these so far, but again, for us to see something like this at that distance, 
um, it, it means it's either really big and putting out a lot of energy or it's like a neutron and, and it just it's emitting a ton of energy. Again, I'll ask the question, why is it we can figure this stuff out, but we can't balance a checkbook? Why, why, is, why is this? I mean, I, I don't understand that. I mean, the, all this stuff that we do and all this research and all these discoveries that we make, we can tell where a signal is coming from almost precisely three billion light years away. But yet we can't get somebody in charge that can actually run something worth a damn. How's that even possible? Uh, well, because we're electing char uh, charismatic people <laughs> and not <laughs> electing the nerds that are doing this. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to have to jump out of here this morning. Thank you for your conversation this morning, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. And for all these topics and more, please check us out later on this afternoon. And I hope everyone has a great morning.